Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person find a life full of freedom and purpose through Jesus. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together this morning? Celebrate that. Celebrate those stories. Celebrate those wins and everything that God has done. I'm sure the lights will pop on here in a minute. There they are. It's all good. Uh, Again, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, Week two of Search and Rescue, which is a series that we started last week. Since this is week two, that makes sense, right? Okay, just making sure we're all awake this morning. And we're walking through the gospel of Luke. I have been reading daily. I'm sure that you guys have too, right? And uh, we started last Sunday, starting at Luke chapter 10. I even let you skip the first nine chapters. And we're just taking some time to look at the last six months of the life of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be walking through a little bit of that today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 14. That's where we'll start. And uh, we'll kind of move around a little bit from there. But I honestly, um, I don't think we can really take a step forward um, without at least pausing to recognize what happened Thursday uh, here in, in Durham, or Wednesday actually, uh, with the, uh, the gas explosion downtown. Uh, for those of you that have been on this journey with us since before launch, you know that Caffeinate is a place that is near and dear to our hearts. Not only is it been an office space for me, but it was the first business to open their doors to us really from the moment we landed here. Mr. Lee, who lost his life in the explosion, was the very first person I met in the city, and very first face, very first name, and um, rolled out the red carpet for us when we hosted a launch party there. We also used their location for a Christmas video that we did um, on social media back before we launched. And um, so when I saw the news, um, obviously it was shocking. Um, And then as details began to roll out, I'm sure many of you were on social media and the news outlets trying to find out what was going on. Um, We saw 16 people injured, I believe was the last count that I saw, 16 people injured, six of them being first responders and firefighters. And then, of course, Mr. Lee lost his life. And so um, I really don't know how to move forward from that other than just be aware of that. And to let you know that as a church, we are working to respond to that. Now, there is a public GoFundMe that is sponsored. It's, a, it's legitimate. You have to be careful with some of these things, but this is a legitimate, a verified it for this family, the Lee family. It's real easy to find, but if you can't find it, I will send it to you. If you let me know after service, I'll get that info to you. But as a church, we are partnering with Revolve Church, which is also an art church. So our, our brothers and sisters just up north, they're in Northgate Mall area. Um, they are connected to three families or individuals that were personally um, either one of the, the victims that got injured or they know someone, like a, maybe one of the, the police departments or fire departments. So anyway, as soon as we get information on that, I will let you guys as a church know if you are interested in helping in any way, it's going to look like showing up and, and giving meals. There are still people in critical condition right now. There are people that have been moved to the burn center. Uh, and so it's going to look like showing up, giving meals to them, maybe paying for a hotel room, something like that. So if you're interested in that, uh, just find me after service. But even better, if you would shoot us an email at info at rescuechurchnc.com, I will uh, circle you in once I find out information. But we are going to respond because that's what the church is supposed to do. Okay, so if you are, maybe you're personally connected, maybe you just kind of saw it from a distance and it just is shocking. 
Um, we as a church are prepared not just to pray, but to respond. Because uh, that's what this whole series has been about. And honestly, that's what this whole church is about. And when, I, when it happened, it took me back to 2016. And it was that, that was the summer that Brooke and I, or 2017, excuse me, that was the summer that Brooke and I knew we were going to move forward and plant a church, and we were pretty sure it was going to be in Durham. And that was the summer that the uh, racist riots broke out in Virginia. And then there was rumors that it was going to break out in Durham. And because of the rumors, the entire city flooded the streets. Hate and negativity on both sides. And it broke our heart. I mean, I, I'm, I was, we were on vacation, and I remember getting, watching CNN and listening to what they said, and then I flipped to Fox News, and I listened to what they said, and I just tossed that trash away. And then I just realized that, man, at the heart of it, there are, there's an entire people that is hurting. And I was just down outside on my hammock, broken. And I think that's ultimately what solidified that Durham was the city for us to come to. And so when this explosion happened this past Wednesday, it brought me right back to that. And um, that's honestly where a lot of this sermon came from today. So I, uh, we're going to get through this, okay? But I need, you to, I need you to catch the heart of this. Can I kind of pastor you for a second? I realize some of you are older than me in this room, but you're, you're, you're here at this church for a reason. So I need you to listen to me. I need you to catch this. I need, I need you to feel this in your heart and in your spirit. This is my city. So it's my responsibility. You understand that? This is your city. That means it's your responsibility. So the title of today's sermon is Our City, Our Responsibility. And I'm thinking through and I'm trying to wrestle through and and process this tragedy. And I just turn to God, which is a great place to turn to when you're in a place of confusion and, and hurt and trying to, and not just that, but God, how do I respond to this now? Like, I actually have a stake in this. Like, I pastor a church, a community of people in a city where this happened. And I just began to start writing these things down and praying in these things. So some of this, honestly, is not a well-oiled, conditioned sermon. Some of this is just raw journal thoughts, moments of prayer, and things that I just felt God speak to me in these moments. Um, but the great thing is that he knew the series we were in, and he really used a lot of Luke to do it. So it's really cool. But I want you to know this, okay? So sometimes it's easy to forget this. It's easy to be in a city like Durham, in a culture like Durham, and in around people like live, that live here and be part of some of the narrative. It's really easy to forget that God has a plan for Durham. In fact, God has a plan for cities. God has a plan for this City. Let me tell you why. Did you know that there's 20 people moving to Durham a day? And we've got a few realtors in the room, so they may even increase that number. But last time I saw it, 20 people move into Durham daily. The triangle as a whole, Durham, Chapel Hill, and Raleigh combined has about 2.1 million people that call the triangle home. Why is that important? Because in a place like that with that many people and that many people moving into it, that means that city has a lot of influence, has a lot of resources. There's name recognition. Durham is the fourth largest city in the state. And with, prominent, with a prominent stake in RTP, the Research Triangle, and 
with entities such as Duke University and Duke Health and IBM and Blue Cross Blue Shield. What that means is if you influence Durham, you influence the state. That's why we planted this church. That's why we started this movement called Rescue Church. Because we had this belief, we had this just foundation that if we could do something here in this city, that we would literally change destinies. We would influence things in a positive and healthy way. And I don't know what the last preacher told you of the church you used to go to, but God has a plan for Durham, okay? God's got Durham, and he's got a plan for you. And it's so important that we understand that and we believe that to move forward. Because when we moved here to start this church, we had every intention of being a community that impacted this city. This is my city. This is my responsibility. This is your city. It's not just my responsibility, but it's yours as well. In fact, as we look at Luke 14, we're going to start at verse 16. Jesus is in the conversation and he says that a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So back in the day when clocks weren't a thing, they would just set the date like, hey, we're having this party two weeks from now, two Fridays from now. But you normally wouldn't know the time of the event until the day of. So if you RSVP'd for the event and then you canceled on the day of, it was considered to be a huge, huge insult. And so he says, hey, like, we'll go and invite this guest list, the people who have said they were going to come. And they, they went out, and verse 17 says that he went out to tell all those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So you see this first group of people begin to make all these excuses for not attending this party. And it's all material things. And it's very comical because who goes and, and expects or inspects what they bought after they bought it? No, no, like you go and expect it and try it out and test drive it before you buy it, Right. It's just like lame excuses on top of being materialistic. And verse 20 says, still another said that I just got married, and so I can't come. Relationships, prioritizing other relationships and material things over this invitation to this banquet, this great party. And the servant came back, verse 21, and reported to this master. The, the owner of this house became angry, and he ordered his servant, okay, so go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. In other words, bring the outcast. Bring all the misfits. Bring all the people who are just wandering around looking and searching and they don't really belong in society. Bring in the people who normally wouldn't get the invite. Bring them in. Okay, and verse 22 says, Sir, the, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, okay, so go out to the roads, verse 23, and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house would be full. 
Now, a lot of times we take that word compel and we treat it as manipulation, but it's not manipulation. What it is, if you look at the context of which he's talking about, he's talking about the people who are normally overlooked, the people who are normally outcast, the people who normally wouldn't fit in this typical group. He says, go out and compel them. And what he means by that is you're going to have to convince them that they're actually welcome to come. And when I think about Durham, honest to God, that's what I feel like. That's what most of my interaction has been, this apprehension, not so much towards Christ, but to his church, because how the church has made them feel. And I'm telling you right now, the mission of, of this church and the mission and the whole objective of this, of this sermon series is for us to realize that this is our city and this is our responsibility and it is your responsibility to go out onto the streets, to go out to the country lanes and compel them to come in because God wants a full house. And so next week for Easter, we're going to pack the house because God deserves it and God wants it. But here's the catch It's not about manipulation. It's not about shame. It's not about condemnation. It's about convincing them that they actually belong, (laughs) that they actually are welcomed back at home. So I want to tell you that God has a plan for this city, and it involves you. Yeah, 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 rescue. No, 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 you. (laughs) God's got a plan, and it involves rescue. No, 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 it involves you. God's got a plan for Durham, and it involves you. Yeah, 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 you, Pastor Josh. No, 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 you. God had a plan for Israel, but it involved Moses. Jesus had a plan for the world, but it involved the church. It involves you, and it's so easy to cast off our responsibility to the guy holding the mic or the people on the platform or the people with the volunteer shirts on, but it is your responsibility as much as it is my responsibility. God has a plan for this city and it involves you. Look at what God says in Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is Jesus telling everyone what will happen when you receive the power of God in your life. So at this moment in Acts, maybe some of you are familiar with kind of what happens. Jesus gives his life. He's resurrected from the dead now he's giving them some instruction on what's about to happen. And he's like, hey, hey, like me getting up out of the grave has major implications for your life. Here's one of them, that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. the same power that rose me from death, that rose me from the grave, will reside inside of you. That's awesome. I've always wanted to be a superhero. You know what I'm saying? This is great. So what does that mean? Why does God give me power? I'll tell you why. It will come upon you and then you will be my what? Witnesses. You will receive power to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. In Judea. In Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. I just want to ask you guys a question. I'm going to set you guys up to be Bible scholars right here, okay? It's going to be real easy. Where do you think Jesus was and the disciples and the believers were when Jesus said this? Where do you think they were? In Jerusalem. Yeah, you can say it out loud. It's okay. In Jerusalem. In other words, you will receive the power of God to be a witness in the city that you are in. To be a witness where you are. 
You will receive the power of God to be a witness, to reach the place that you're at because you prove the calling of God on your life by what you do, where you are, the city that you are in. Yeah, but Durham is so dark and there's lots of violence and there's just, I can't go to a certain part of town and it's so dangerous and it's weird and my, yeah. And the more you complain, the more you will not receive the power of God in your life to do anything. Can we not be a church that adds to the narrative? <laughs> My goodness. And some of you have lived here a long, lot longer than I am, and you're more part of the problem than the solution because it's easier to be a part of the narrative than it is to be the change. It's a cliche. Be the change you want to see. It's something that we put on T-shirts and we post on Instagram and Facebook. But My goodness, it's so much easier to post about change than it is to actually go and produce change. And I'm walking around Wednesday downtown. I got it. I just I had to go. <laughs> Jesus went. He saw. He had compassion. I heard about it. I had to go. I know some of you would have been there too if you weren't at work. So I get it. Not, that's not a shameful com- a comment, and that's not an old look at me comment. It's just it is what it is. I went, and I went to the police station. I was like, what can I do? And they brought me into like literally the debriefing room and the sheriff's department's there and the police department's there and the fire chief's there. And they're all, they're just, it's pandemonium, like organized pandemonium. And it was, one, it was like really cool to watch all that stuff go down. So if if the city ever gets sieged, I know where to go and where not to go, okay? Um, But it was awesome to watch them move. And then I got a chance to go by the other day because they have blocked off still so much of that area. Got a chance to go and see it. And then I got a chance to talk to some people. And then I get on social media and I see all the conversations coming through. And really at the end of the day, what I see are two things. I see community rallying together. And I see people looking for answers. I see hurting people looking for answers. I, look, I see people looking for somewhere to go. And here's what we have the opportunity to do as a church. And here's what you have the opportunity to do as an individual. You can continue to complain and look for ways not to go and look for ways to get out and look for ways to wiggle around the opportunities. Or we can use the spirit of God, the power of God that's inside of us to go be witnesses to these people. And what's happening in this city is not necessarily a negative thing, but it is something to be aware of. Is there is tons of community forming outside of the very institution that God created to be about community, the church. And we like to blame it on the pastor, but oftentimes it's not the pastor. It's it's, it's the people sitting, listening to him. All I'm asking is for us not to be that church. You receive the power of God. Jesus could have said anything, to cast out demons, to raise people from the dead, to to do. No, he said to be a witness to someone. What does that mean? It means to tell them what happened, to explain what happened. Specifically, God has a plan for your city, and it involves you, and you're called to your world, your specific world. World, let's zero in a little bit on your specific sphere of influence and the circles that you run in and the Starbucks that you go through every single day. Come on, some of y'all are way too quiet. I don't know why you know it's true, just be honest with it. You go there every single day and you pay six dollars for a drink, you know it, right? 
the Starbucks you go to every day. You're called to the Audi that you go to or the Harris Teeter that you go to, or okay, let's get personal, or the theater that you go to every week. Like, okay, come on, A-lister right here. I ain't afraid, I ain't ashamed. You're called to that. Your world, the job that you go to, the people that sit around the table from you every day, maybe three times a day or three times a week, how many times you eat dinner with your family. You're called to that world. You're called to wherever you find yourself to be a witness for God. Come on, ladies. You're called to target. Your target. I can't tell you how many times my wife walks in or I'll walk in and she'll be like, honey, I'm going to target. And I'm so thankful for that because that's better than any therapist I could ever send her to. It's the best marriage counseling and it probably costs just as much anyway. But come on, you're called to that target. But to be a witness... You have to notice. You have to be beyond just your task and just your agenda and just your self. And there may not be any greater work that the Spirit of God does in our life than to turn our selfish eyes off of ourself onto a hurting world. You need to catch this today. Listen to what happens in Mark 5. Jesus encounters a man who is possessed by thousands of demons. No match for the Son of God, though. He casts them out, changes the man's life. He saves him, like truly miracle rescues this man. And so I think the man does what any of us would do. He looks at Jesus. He's like, I just want to go with you. I just want to travel the world. I want to be with you. I'm, I'm loyal to you, Jesus. I want to go with you. This is what Jesus says to him. He says in verse 19 that he did not let him go. He said, no, no, you go. What's that word? Home. Go home to your own people and tell, me, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and he instantly started quoting scripture and started with the law of Moses and he worked his way up. No, he didn't do any of that. The Bible says he went back to the capitalist and he said how much Jesus had done for him. And the result of that is that the people were amazed. In other words, they were moved. Many of them came to faith in Jesus because God sent the man back home. But, but I'm called to the world. Yeah, you, you might be, but you're called to start where you're at. This is your city. This is your responsibility. I want to go to the world, but it starts at home. I I feel called to strangers. I want to talk to all these strangers on the street. Well, How much are you talking to your friends? Why would God trust you with the world if he can't trust you with your neighbor? Why would God trust you with the nations and strangers if he can't trust you with your friends and your family? We are called to be witnesses. We're called to our specific where we, we are lucky to have several law students here and, and that kind of are part of our community, and they're working their tails off right now, getting ready for last-minute exams, as a lot of our college students are. So we're praying for you guys. But I just want to ask you guys a question. Maybe you've learned this already. If not, I'll, be, I'll teach you for free. It's really simple, okay? So in court, okay, if I'm a witness, do I have to know all the details? Or do I just need to be like, this guy pulled out and he hit him, and that's what happened. That's what I saw. Right? That's all I need to know. Like, I, this is what I saw happen. 
this guy killed this guy right here. Like, he did right there. I saw he ran a blue shirt. Like, I saw it. Well, you know, why did the man pull out? And, and why did the light turn? Like, I don't know all the details. I just know what I saw. And some of us, we, we chalk it up to, well, I don't know all the scriptures. And I don't know uh, how, to, how to decode revelation. All I know is what God did for me. And that's all you need to know. That's all the only instruction that Jesus gave to that man was to go tell them all that God has done for you. All you need to know is the one thing that Jesus has done for you. Because that one thing will reach the one who is far from him. All I know is my story. All I know is where I used to be, and I met Christ, and now I see where I'm at. All I know is how I used to think, and now he's changed my mind. He's changed my heart, and now I live this way, and I think this way. All you need to know is the one thing that Jesus did for you. Because it's your responsibility to share your story. Your responsibility to share your story. Listen to me. You don't need to be a minister to be in ministry. All of you are called into ministry. So that just sets you free. All of you are called into ministry. You don't need a microphone. You certainly don't need a platform. The last thing you need is a title. And if you can't do ministry without any of those things, you'll never really do anything great for God anyway because it will always be about you. The only thing about you is that it is your story and it is your responsibility to share it. And the problem, as we addressed last week, I just feel like I need to say this. The problem about this is when we pick who we share our story with and who we don't based on preference. If you struggle with that, then I need you to go to the new podcast on Apple or Spotify, just search for Rescue Church, and listen to last week's sermon. Because we died to preference last week. I need you guys to catch this. Because a lot of churches, and there's nothing wrong with this. If, honestly, we probably would have done more too if we would have had the means to do it. But a lot of churches around Easter, you know, we bring in the helicopters to drop the Easter eggs. I just wanted to use a drone, you know, but found out those cost a couple thousand dollars as well. May as well just rent a helicopter next year. But uh, they bring the helicopters in and they do all the, they do all the big stuff for Easterns. Nothing wrong with that. Again, we would have done some more of that too. But I felt like God just speak to me, spoke to me and said, you need to stop. This is weird. I don't normally be like, God told me because it's a really dangerous thing to say. But I'm just telling you, I just really feel like God say, stop wasting so much effort and time trying to promote what happens in here and go out there. The people that were standing in a pile of ash and rubble and had burn marks, they didn't care about what's happening in here right now. This isn't the most important thing we'll ever do. It is important. I mean, we'll gather. We want you here. But it's not the most important thing we'll ever do. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could get together on church every Sunday. He died so that the church would go out into the world and be a witness. We just get to come in here and celebrate. We get to come in here when when we've had a discouraging week and be in community and be amongst one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and be in the presence of God. That is important, but it's not the most important thing we'll ever do. This is the most important thing we'll ever do. This is why we entitled this sermon, The Search the search and rescue, because I want to give you a search and rescue mission. 
The search and rescue mission is found in Luke chapter 15. And this is a moment where Jesus is sharing three stories, three parables about something that was lost. He says in verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls to his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Can I just pause? That? To me, that's what church is. Look at this. Look at this. Who I, look who God just rescued. This person that was lost has been found. I've gone out. I've found them through God's help. I've rescued them. God has rescued them. And now we're going to get together on Sunday. Now we're going to celebrate. To me, that's what Sunday is about. Celebrating what God has done. Being in the community with one another. But then we leave here and we go find what is lost. Because this is my city and this is my responsibility. He goes on to say in verse... um, I tell you, verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And then he continues on in verse 8. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The one. Jesus demonstrates for us how urgent and how important it is to go after the one. So here's the search and rescue goal. Here's this search and rescue mission, whatever terminology you want to use. I don't really care. The facts are that there are 300,000 people roughly that call Durham home. 300,000 people with about 160,000 of them having no faith, no church, no hope, no freedom, no purpose. of the people in this city have have no connection to what this this is right here. And we I said at the very beginning, there, there is a lot of communities popping up. But let's not confuse association with community. I want to show you a picture, a picture of Acts 1-8. It's Jerusalem, and I don't know if you guys can see it, how well you can see it. I did the best I could find in one, but, but Jesus gave that command. Acts 1-8, you will receive power from God to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, where you're at, and Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You will receive the Spirit of God to be witnesses where you're at. Now look at this picture of Durham. 
Rogers, her middle school is about right here. Sandwiched between downtown and Duke University. And this is the county of Durham. Obviously, everything in this brown, if you can see it, is considered city limits. So 160,000 people, 53% of the people living here are unchurched. Just in this little section right here is almost 100,000 of them. I just want to submit to you, if the one matters, and it does, if the one, if it's urgent for us to go after the one, if it's urgent for us to refuse to be comfortable and be content with just playing church every Sunday, if it is urgent, and I feel like you would agree with me because you're here, then I feel it in my heart that it's our job to go after the one. And what if, what if this church could reach 1% of the 53% people who don't know Christ, who are unchurched? What if we as a church could collectively, intentionally go after the 1% of people who don't know Christ? Now, I realize comparing 1% to 160,000 people, it sounds impossible. It sounds insignificant to you realize that 1% of that is 1,600 people. Can you go back to that picture of Durham real quick? And that just in these two zip codes that accompany this portion of Durham are almost 100,000 people within 10 to 15 minutes of where we are right now. This is our city. This is our responsibility. I want to tell you how we do it. How do we go after the one? Because this is our city. This is our responsibility. It starts with our cul-de-sac. In fact, um, when you came in today, I almost forgot, you should have gotten a brown bag. If you don't have a brown bag, if you just raise your hand, I'll make sure you get one. If you do have it, I need you to go ahead and pull that out. Uh, do you guys mind just get, I think, some, some hands over here? Just keep your hands up if you don't have a brown bag. We'll make sure you get one. I know it'll be a little awkward, but I'll just act like you're praising Jesus for a few minutes. It's okay. It is important that you have this. Are you, guys, are you guys feeling this? I know it's a little heavy, but I need you to be excited because this is an exciting thing. So it starts this way. Again, if you think of it in concentric circles, you know, small circle, then next, like a target, like a bullseye. It's kind of how we're picturing this. You start with Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So we're starting right here where we are in Lakewood, in your neighborhood, in your cul-de-sac, and in that brown bag, you don't have to open it now, but you can if you want. If you want to touch it, hold it, you know, whatever. Um, inside of it, though, trust me, is a green door for the bull card. We've given you one of these before. This is an opportunity for you. This is an invitation for you to show mercy to someone. Last week, we found out that mercy comes to us in an undeserved and unexpected way. It's what Jesus did for us, that's what happened in the Good Samaritan, which is also in Luke 15. That's what I'm going to invite you to do with this card, find a way to show mercy to someone in an unexpected and maybe even undeserved way. 
It can be as simple as paying for their drink in front, like behind you in Starbucks. It could be baking a cake and taking it to your neighbor. It could be inviting them over for dinner, whatever that looks like. I just want you to think small, personal, in your circle, in your cul-de-sac. This is a great way for you just to show some kindness, to show some mercy, to show some love, a tangible, random act of kindness, and then just slip this to them. Hey, I don't need anything back. I just want to tell you, God loves you. This right here could be your opportunity to share your story. Hey, listen, I don't understand about all, you might have some questions about the Bible. Let's not talk about it because you don't understand it. I don't understand it. We'll figure that out on Sunday. Like if you get them here, I'll be theological for you, okay? I just need you to share your story. This could be an opportunity for you to do that. The second, as we get a little bit larger, our community we found out there's 160,000 people in our city, in our community that do not know Jesus, that are unchurched, that are without true community, someone who will show not only unity and agreement, but accountability. We need it. Last week, we learned about a partnership that we have with the food pantry that's being born and started right here in Lakewood. It's going to be opened up next to the Scrap Exchange in the Lakewood Shopping Center Right across the street from Coco Cinnamon. Come on, someone. Those churros, man. You got to go. If you haven't been at the church, go to Lakewood Coco Cinnamon. Order some churros. They will make you feel like God loves you again. Like, come on. They're so good. Go get them. So there is a food pantry opening up. And this is kind of one part of our partnership. We're also doing one with Meals on Wheels. That will come into effect next month. But right now, as part of our Pack the House Initiative for Easter. We've been saying it all month. Pack the house, pack a meal. This brown bag, on the front of it, you see a list of items that they need. I'm going to ask you next week not only to bring a friend, to bring a stranger, to bring a family member. I'm going to ask you to bring something from that list as much as you can. Fill up a bag, a tote, a box. I don't care. Get it here, and we will get it to them. Because Jesus, so oftentimes, before he did anything spiritual, he met a physical need. So our cul-de-sac, our community, and lastly, our circle. That's what these invite cards are for. In your bag, there's five invite cards for Easter next week. This card does the work for you. All you have to do is give it to someone. It works better if you have a conversation first, but it does do the work for you. Who in your circle right now is close to you but is far from God? Maybe all five don't show up. That's okay. It's not your job to save them. It's your job to witness to them. It's your job to throw the life raft out and trust that God will take care of the rest. Get that pressure off yourself. It is your responsibility to invite. It is your responsibility to be a witness. So how do we go after the 1%? Moving forward every day, every week, every month, how do we go after the 1% that is right here in proximity to where we are You start with your neighbor. You start with those in need. You go to those who are far from him. Maybe even after some time, you reconcile with your enemy, as we learned last week. There's a story of Mother Teresa. She spent decades 
giving her life to a city. Decades. Some of us complain about a Sunday. This woman gave decades to a city. And this journalist rolls up to interview her. And he walks around. He spends a few days there observing all that she's done. She's given her life to hospitals and orphanages and those who were sick and widows and the marginalized and the underserved. And she, she's giving her life to this. And this guy shows up for a few days and he goes, Mother Teresa, I respect all that you do. I respect you. I respect your work. She's got a question for you. Where is God? Where is God in the hospital? Where is God with the sick children? Where is God in the villages? Where is God in the orphanages? There is no God in Calcutta. Where is he? And she looks at him as I imagine only she could. And she said, God is always near to the broken. My friend, the question isn't where is God? The question is where is you? Where are you? I've been here for decades and I've never seen you before. Where are you at? Does that sting a little bit? I hope it does. It's supposed to. The question isn't where is God in Durham? The question is where is the church? The question isn't where is God in the schools? The question is where is the church? question isn't where is God in my neighborhood no no the question is where are you this is our city this is our responsibility let's stop complaining let's start figuring out ways to try to get out and get away and not address it and let's find ways to engage it because the very thing that Jesus did and then he looked at his followers the ones who were there after the death and the resurrection, waiting for his power. And when he, before, before he gave them the power, he said, you're going to get some power. Here's, where you, here's why, to be a witness. To go after the one. And to show mercy. So here's our kind of final thought for today. At Rescue Church, we believe that every single person in this room has a next step. For some of you, that first step is towards Jesus. For some of you, that is accepting his rescue for your life. And what better time than this Easter season as we remember and celebrate his death on the cross and his victory over the grave. All for you, all for me, to make that decision today to accept him as your Lord and your Savior. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment because if that's you in this room, I I just want to pray for you and As I'm doing that, I want to invite you to have that conversation with God right now. It doesn't have to be fancy. There's no magic words. It's between you and God. This is a personal decision for you. God, we lift up the hearts and the souls in this room that need to be found by you. They need to be rescued by your love and your grace and your mercy. And today, God, I pray that they would feel something inside of them that is just swelling up inside of them that that forces them to move towards you that forces them to take their step towards you, and they realize that all of their life you have been stepping towards them. What a great reminder today on Palm Sunday that even in the midst of the cheers 
and the celebration and the praise. Jesus knew that those same people would sin. He knew those same people would turn their back on him. He knew those same people would even kill him. And yet he still took a step towards the cross. Why? For the person sitting in this room today. So thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and your love. May it rescue the individuals in this room who need to experience your freedom. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. And now for every body in this room, there, there's still another step. There is a step that is with Jesus. And we, we say it that way because we can't do this in our own strength. And this is our responsibility, but it is a very heavy and weighty responsibility. And I, as your pastor, I don't need you to help me carry my responsibility. I just need you to carry your responsibility. It makes it really hard when I have to carry mine and yours. But if you'll carry yours, I'll carry mine, I promise you. And we will do incredible things in this city. I promise you. So I don't know what decisions you need to make as you leave here today, but one. And that is to take that bag that's in your hand or in your lap and let it be a tangible symbol of the responsibility that has been placed on you. Here's the difference. I'll say this and I'll be done, I promise you. Here's the difference between God placing responsibility on us and the weight that we already feel so much from all the responsibilities that we already have. I don't know of a son that doesn't like to help his dad. I don't know of a daughter that doesn't like to help mom or dad in whatever they're doing. Here recently, I've had a chance. It's the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'll never do it again. At the beginning of the year, I made a resolution that I was going to learn how to work on cars better than I ever. I, I could like change the oil, change the tire. That's kind of it. I made a resolution. Daggone it. I'm going to learn how to handle this stuff. And I'll be daggone if like every week the car, something is wrong with the car. And I'm like, ah, I'll never say it again. I've learned a lot, though. I really have. Thank God for YouTube. I have learned a lot. And in those moments, it's already frustrating enough because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I do now. I didn't. It's so frustrating already. I'd rather give my time somewhere else. And then out bebops Judah and Ben. Hey, Dad, can I help? Of course. Of course. Because when dad places responsibility on you, he places value. I'm wanted. I'm needed. I get to be a part of this. This responsibility that the father has placed on you is not meant to be burdensome. It's meant to be inclusive. It's meant to show you value. It's meant for you to be a part of this. And I know I said I was going to be done. One more, one more thing. There's a moment, and it happens right before Jesus rolls up into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's like one chapter prior. One of Jesus' best friends, closest friends, Lazarus, is dead. 
He's, he's near and dear to his heart. In fact, the Bible says that he wept over the death of Lazarus, which is such an interesting story if you think about it. But it's another sermon for another day. He shows up to the tomb of Lazarus late, according to Mary and Martha, but right on time. And he looks at the disciples. He goes, hey, roll that stone away. Now, I think Jesus could have Darth vader that thing, you know, like. But what I've seen so many times throughout Scripture as I've been reading, especially through Luke this month, is that I never really see Jesus do anything that his disciples can do. But when they are obedient to do what only they can do, he always steps in and does what only he can do. And the disciples rolled the stone away, and then he looked inside the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And he stands up, and he is alive, and he's breathing. He looks at the disciples and says, hey, bring me some water. And when they were obedient to do what only they could do, he turned the water into wine. He said, hey, hey, go get some bread and some fish. And they went, and they did the work, and they brought it back. And then he touched it, and it fed 5,000-plus people. And what I'm looking at you and I'm asking you to do is let's stop complaining about the work. Stone rolling is hard. But when we do what we can do, Jesus will show up and do what only he can do. And having these conversations is hard and it's awkward. But when you will be faithful with what God has tasked you to do and placed responsibility on you to do, he will step in and do what only he can do. Dude, I can't save anybody. I've tried. I can't raise anybody back from the dead. I've tried. I can't touch somebody and make you see if you're blind. I've tried. But there is someone who can. And if you will do what only you can do, if you will handle the natural part, God is faithful to add the super to it. He is faithful to do what only he can do. In church, I'm telling you, I need you to get this I didn't plant this church to pastor a church. I planted this church to pastor a city, and I cannot do it by myself. This is our city, and this is our responsibility. I need you to stand up with me if you would. And God, I just ask that you would move across this room and you would speak to our hearts. And God, we celebrate all the freedom the people I've found today, God, and now I ask that your spirit would come and you would bring purpose. Thank you for trusting us with the responsibility to go after the one. Thank you for listening. Join us each week here on the pod or live in Durham. Keep up with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rescue Church NC.